And welcome back, Fourth and Long fans. It's your footy correspondent, Coach Donnie Hess here, back with another AFLW round review. It is over, ladies and gentlemen. Unfortunately, the saddest time of the year in the AFLW calendar. We are done with season seven. It is over. So we got to talk the grand final. Holy shnikes, what a championship game. And here to join me today to break it down is Miss Sarah Burt. Sarah, thank you for joining me. Holy shnikes, what a season seven. Oh, always a pleasure to be on. Thanks for having me again. Um, yes, it's been a huge season seven and season six. I can't quite believe that we've had two seasons in one year. I think everyone, you included, I'm sure, um, need a good rest after that. But yeah, it was um it was quite a season. We saw so many new records broken and it was such a historical season. Um, yeah, it's just, I can't wait to dive into it. Yeah, it's kind of crazy to think about it. Is we started covering in January. It is no, it is almost December and I haven't stopped since then. Because <laughs> like with me covering the men. So I think, I think I've had a podcast once a week, almost every week this week. So it has been absolutely insane but let's let's jump right into it before we get into the grand final let's talk a tiny bit you got to go to the aflw awards can you tell me just a little bit about that because that looked like an absolutely insane insane night uh what are your thoughts on the, the w awards yeah sure it's um it's often a really good night or always a really good night um it's always funny not having the two grand finalists there or in, i'm not sure if they traditionally did but um obviously with COVID times they're not around and I think usually they wouldn't be anyway because they've got to be careful heading into into the grand final so it did mean that we we didn't have um the best and fairest winner there um and yeah we obviously we didn't have Brizzy in Melbourne there but it was fantastic we have it at Crown which is the um, casino here. I'm not much of a gambler, but Crown is a beautiful venue. Um, not that they encourage gambling at the W Awards, but no, it's a beautiful venue. It's a beautiful night. Um, and yeah, it's really nice to have everyone all in the same room, particularly after this year that's been so crazy. It's the second W Awards we've had this year. And it's just so nice to have everyone all in the same room. So it was fantastic. And it's really nice to acknowledge things like the All-Australian team and people that um possibly when there's a big list of people like like the australian team to get them all up on stage and acknowledge the work that they've done and the really hard work they've put in to get there so yeah no it was a fantastic night that's that's a great lead-in because i i gotta say i have i have one little pet peeve with the with the all australian team and it is no disrespect to the person that i'm going to talk about but i it annoys me, especially in the men's game, when a midfielder, a majority, 95% midfielder, is put in the forward line. And again, no disrespect to Maddie Pasparkas. I love her to death. She's an incredible player. But I think this is a lazy situation. And again, I'm not trying to make fun of the, the AA. I think this is lazy by them. I think there were forwards you probably could have put there, especially having Greta Bodie on the bench. So your thoughts on that? Because I know there, there are some people that, again, it's it's a panel, but I, I just I just don't like it personally. Thoughts? Yeah, it's a really interesting one, and I mean, particularly when you look at this year, I agree with what you say about Greta Bodie. I think um, that she definitely needed to to be in there. It was the first time that they've named um, a top forty two squad instead of just the team, which I think probably gave people a bit more leeway because, or oh, at least they're in the squad doesn't matter if they're not in the team, but I think 
I don't think that's true. And I think not having Ali Anderson, who got the best and fairest in the All-Australian team, I think it was quite embarrassing for the AFL, <laughs> to be honest. Um, I was surprised that she wasn't in it in the start, to be honest. Um, but, yeah, I think it, it does show a really big disparity between that panel um, and coaches, sorry, not coaches' votes, umpires' votes. Um, and, again, then you see disparity in the players' votes in the AFLPA um, best player. So it is. I think it's important to have different voting panels. I really do, but you do see disparity in that. And it's interesting what you say about Manny Prasparkets because because it's structured as a team in a, in a team format, there's people that are never inevitably going to miss out because they don't fit into that certain structure. So as you say, there's a million and one midfielders that could be in there. So they try and move people forward or back to try and fit them into that team, but it doesn't quite make sense. And I think the reason I assume that it was introduced with the men's early on is because you, you're designing the dream team that you could have if you could name anyone across the league. And it doesn't make sense to put people in positions that they don't normally play. So I agree with you. It's, um, it's a pretty interesting move. But, um, and, yeah, I, I think that would be the AFL's only defence in not having Ali Anderson in the team. But, um, it's yeah, it's a bit of a weak one, really. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's the first year of the women's where we've seen that much disparity. We've seen it in the men's before. But... Um, yeah, it was an interesting one. <laughs> yeah, and, and I and I don't like going there. And again, like I said, I, Maddie Persparker is hell of a player. I just I don't like that. I I just I really think it it comes off as lazy. It comes off as well, nobody's going to notice. People noticed, and, and and some people were were not happy about it. And like I said, it's it's disrespectful to the forwards that a midfielder gets into a position. It's like you're telling the forward groups throughout the front. And, and I I just did a podcast, and they said it was like. How do you feel as Bonnie Toogood and Paige Scott, who are forwards for Essendon? I mean, how do you feel? You one of your midfielders who doesn't play forward is in the All Australia team in a forward position. So it's it's a very interesting uh, discussion point. But it was the one thing I really wanted to discuss because it was the one thing that got on me a little bit. That in all, I thought the team was great. I thought it was very well done. It's just I, that one little sticking point really irked me off. So. And again, Ali Anderson, yeah. congratulations on an All-Australian. I think she had a, a magnificent season. I think she was one of those. She just did everything the right way and consistently a very well-deserved win. Account Mon Conti, my tip at the start of the year, finished second. So I, I took a little bit of pride in that. I thought she had a, an incredible season as well. Yeah, I think it was hard for Mon. Um, not that not that I've asked her personally, but um, you could see on her face, and and it would be impossible for it not to be difficult for you when everyone's constantly telling you you're going to win this, you're going to win this, or um, you know it's it's going to go neck and neck, and it it didn't really at the end. So um, I think that 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 would have been pretty difficult, and I think it's very hard for all of them to block out, as with every athlete and every sport, it's very hard to block out all of that noise, and as much as they might say that they don't let it affect their mentality. Of course you would. And particularly for a player like Mon Conti, their team got knocked out of finals so early on, but it was the best they'd ever done. So, and she had a huge part to play in that, obviously. So I think um, for her to have got that recognition would have been a really huge deal, but it does just go to show how prolific Brisbane are. 
Um, and yeah, two best and fairest in, in one year is pretty impressive. Yeah. And two different players too, which, which makes it, it shows their depth that they have there. So let's go to it. The reason that we are here, grand final breakdown, and I'm going to humble brag a bit. I called this one. I thought this was going to be a close game. I thought this was going to be a fantastic game. I thought Brisbane's toughness and the additions of Taylor Harris, I think would be the changer. Was Taylor Harris the be-all, end-all change? No, but she made an impact in this game that she didn't in the first. So I let's let's just go through it, Sarah. Your thoughts on this grand final. It was a darn good game for me. I thoroughly loved this game. I don't care about the score. This was good champagne footy by two really good teams this year. Absolutely it was. And it's interesting that you mentioned Taylor Harris because she's only had, if you look at the stats, they're actually insane because she's only had... She only had four disposals and she got a goal off one of those touches. So I think that that does represent, and again, Daisy Pierce only had seven touches as well. So I think something like that goes to show um, when you look at the game, both of those players did have an impact on the game and they barely touched the ball in comparison to normal weeks for them. So I think that the way Melbourne won is that they shared the ball around so much. They knew what they were doing. Everyone played their part um, and there was no real superstars. I mean, Tyler Hanks had an epic game. Eliza West had an epic game. But apart from that, there was, and Kate Hall, apart from that, there was no huge standouts. There was no sort of 30 plus disposals like we do see in the women's game now. Um, it was just everyone was playing their part. No one was hogging the ball. There was no relying on a superstar. And I think that's where they really won the game in the end because it was such, it was a game played with such depth. But when you look at the statistics, it's nuts because most of the numbers are exactly equal with both teams. So it's very, very hard to separate them. I actually thought Brisbane were going to win. They were my tip. So um, it's very well done to you. But it's, um, yeah, it's very interesting looking at those numbers because there is those two teams have been impossible to separate all season. And um, I suppose Brisbane skipper going out, Brie Conan, for most of the game, we now know she's done her PCL. Um, but at the time um, when she left, Brisbane sort of had to scramble to readjust. And I think they did really well for that. But maybe if she'd stayed on, they could have won the game because it was really just a matter of timing. It wasn't a blowout. It was, there was, you know, a goal between it. So um, it was fantastic final. It's all you could ask for with a final. And I think everyone's very happy that we saw Daisy finally get the win. Um, but yeah, I, I actually thought that Brisbane had it in the bag. So, and even during the first quarter, I thought Brisbane had it in the bag. So it was a very, very good game. It, it was one of those where it was a little bit of a tale of two different games because that first quarter, as you said, I mean, Brisbane jumped Melbourne. It was a lot like the Adelaide game, the, the really quick start. Brisbane kicks a couple of goals and you could kind of see the best part about Melbourne this year is they never panicked. They didn't panic in the Adelaide game. They didn't panic in this game. They kind of just went, okay, we're okay. Let's just, let's keep it going. We'll be fine. And it did. It just kind of that second quarter, all the pressure started to heap on to Brisbane because you notice it went from, it went from pretty much Brisbane in the forward half to now it was Melbourne in the forward half. In the in most of the second quarter, it was something like 65, 70%. It was, it was a huge percentage. And then the third quarter, it happened again. And the fourth quarter, it, I, I really kind of, Melbourne won this game, not because of dominance but because of constant consistent pressure and making the brisbane defense defend which most of this year they haven't had to be 
the saving grace for Brisbane. They've been this forward team that nobody can stop. Dixon, Wardlore, Hodder, Bates, Anderson, all of these stars could go forward. The defenders just had to, okay, let's clean up occasionally. We'll be okay. Where this game, it was the exact opposite. Hodder was low on, Dixon was low on, Wardlow was low. So, I mean, this was a game where Brisbane's, the Lions defense stood up, but they just couldn't stand up for the entire time that they had to. And I think that's really what helped Melbourne is they just did not let Brisbane's defense get a reprieve at all after the first quarter. Yeah, and I think possibly that's where we saw Brizzy missing Brie Conan because we know how effective she is down there. But as I said, when you look at the statistics, which I'm absolutely not a numbers person at all, but I just find these ones astounding because it's so telling because almost, I kid you not, almost every single stat is exactly the same. And the only difference really is that Melbourne had nine more inside 50s. So you can just see, and watching the game, you could see it, just that pressure Mm -hmm. going into their forward half is the only thing that got there in the end because realistically, they weren't that much more effective in scoring. They, you know, like both teams missed scoring chances. And so it was just that Melbourne were just relentless in getting it back in that forward half. But we know both teams, and it's just that brand of finals footy because we know that both teams are normally very, very accurate in the forward 50. I mean, that's how you win games is you score. But Melbourne just repeat entry, repeat entry. And I think eventually they just wore out Brisbane and they it was just sort of as, as long as they could go until the siren, they just had to keep that going because we know it wasn't a super high scoring game. Um, and I think eventually they just, they just wore them out. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. They just, Brisbane just ran out of steam in the end. So a great game, absolutely fantastic. So I hate saying it, we're done. The season is over. Season seven is over. The second season is over. You and I finally get to take a breath now that we don't have to cover a second season. It's, It's a breath of fresh air, but it is sad because this has been an incredible season. Four new teams join in. All 18 clubs are now in the competition. I love saying that. I loved every podcast I could say. We get to review nine games this week. It was such a great thing to have. So I want to real quickly, let's go through this season. Your thoughts, Sarah, because I don't look at the results. I don't look at the blowouts. I look at it as 18 teams got to play and we got to see some incredible games this season, not just in the finals, even some absolute crackers in the regular season seeing richmond knock off brisbane grand finals week was fantastic so just a really quick thought of season seven as a whole because for me this was nothing but a success i agree with you i think it was nothing but a success um i think a lot of us and i'm sure you included at times you can get bogged down in a lot of the negativity that we get being fans of the game there's a lot of there's a lot of everything attached to AFLW there's a lot of sexism there's a lot of homophobia there is a lot of commentary around society in general and the cohort of people that love AFLW like you and I or that play AFLW are involved in it and I think sometimes it's really hard to block out that noise Um, I know that I find it exhausting sometimes because you're just trying to share your opinion or your work with the world and and people are always going to have something negative to say back about it. On the other hand, I know that people do that to the men's game as well, but I feel like 
the commentary is a lot harsher around the women and it's a lot more pointed and a lot more personal. So something that I find I take great comfort in is knowing that the game, despite all of that, the game has expanded exponentially. Obviously, we've got the four final teams now and they did really well. I mean, we're seeing that we all know that when new teams come in, they struggle, there's blowouts, there's teething problems. But a perfect example of that is Richmond and they didn't win a game in their first season, but now they've been in finals and that's a huge victory for them. And Monconti almost won the best and fairest. It's a huge victory. And you look at um, teams like Essendon, they had four people in the All-Australian. I mean, that's fantastic for a, a first year team. So I think we're seeing really, really good signs. You're not going to see teams coming up to battle with the inaugural teams because it's just not possible they don't have the systems in place they don't have the coaching systems all of that um if you look at St Kilda Nick Del Santos never coached a women's side before or coached at all so I think those sort of things need to be taken into account but I agree with you I think overwhelmingly a super positive super fantastic time for the league and I think next season will be really exciting because it'll be the first time where we don't have any new teams introduced, people have had a bit of time to breathe and the newer teams have had a longer pre-season, some proper time to get settled um, and to properly plan their structures and, and their game, you know, structures. <laughs> um, and I think that that's going to be, next season will be really exciting again because all of the teams would have had equal time to be prepared because those new four teams only got told they were starting a season about six weeks before it actually started. So um, I think we'll see a bit more equality and it'll be interesting to see what happens in the the trade and draft period too, because um, it might even things up a little bit. So I agree with you overwhelmingly positive, I think. Yeah, I'm, I'm 100% with you. I, I think keep an eye on the, the Port Adelaide and Sydney, because I'd be interested with a full off season. How's their recruiting going? Because I'd be interested to see if they recruit, a little bit more aggressively this year, having the entire off season to be able to do that. So we'll, we'll go with that. So I, I want to do a really quick little, I, I kind of separated the teams in tiers because I think that it's kind of how I see this, the league going right now. So let's, let's start at the tier. Unfortunately, we call it the bottom tier, the bottom four teams in the league, Sydney, Port Adelaide, Hawthorne and West coast were the four bottom teams this year. So really quickly, Sarah, in your thoughts, which of these uh, which of these uh, the bottom four sides do you think is going to have the most upside going into this off season? It's hard because when you look at those bottom three teams, Sydney, Port Adelaide and West Coast, none of them are in Victoria. And there's a lot of commentary around the favoritism around Victorian teams. Um, I suppose, particularly when you're looking at players that may not want to move away from Victoria or, um, or, but also just in general, there's, there's more people that play in Victoria and there's more teams for them to choose from. So it could go one of two ways, really either the talent spread out far more through Victoria or people are drawn to come to Victoria to be selected in a Victorian team. So something that that I take note of is that those three teams are not in Victoria. And for the first time, the other sides, their rival sides in their states are competing for that talent. So the other thing that we have to look at, which we don't see in the men's game, is that 
the women now this season and presumably if they keep the same dates the following seasons, the women are still doing their final year of school, their um, VCE, we call it here, their year 12. So Mm -hmm. there's not going to be many girls that are going to go into state to play footy when they're in the middle of their VCE exams. They can't. They physically cannot leave. So that's going to be, I think, a um, a real stickler for the entire league because they're not going to get people moving and they're not going to have people nominating to move into state, particularly not in their first year. So that will mess with the draft process. My thinking is that um, Hawthorne will um, improve next year. They've got real talent, they've got real systems and they've had a very successful VFLW program for many years. Um, But I'm not sure about the others. I was surprised by Port Adelaide. I think maybe I had all my hopes resting on Erin Phillips, thinking that she would just carry the team, but um, I was a little bit disappointed in how they went. So teams like that, I think, will be really, it'll be really interesting to see what happens because obviously we know the Adelaide Crows are completely dominant in the, uh, the apart from this year, completely dominant normally in the in the league. So it will be interesting to see how Port Adelaide go and whether they try and poach some of that talent or, or whether they try and suss out what Adelaide are doing so right. So, yeah, I think... Sydney, I feel for them because GWS have struggled in the past as well. So um, in that way, they probably don't have the talent pool to tap into that Sydney, um, sorry, that um, Adelaide, the Adelaide teams might. But um, again, it might just be a matter of of things um, evening out and it might just sort of be a rite of passage, unfortunately, for, for those teams. And Essendon did really well, but they they had a strong VFLW program to pull from. So I, I I that's going to be your next question. <laughs> I, have, I have Essendon in a little different category. So, so we'll go to the next one. And I call this purgatory. I call this tier purgatory because... <laughs> this, because th- these, these four teams are in a situation where if you look at their lists, they should have done better this season. They didn't. A couple of them may have reasons but we'll go through it Fremantle, gws carlton and st kilda i call this the purgatory tier because they're in this weird they could be good and be a finals contender or they could be in the bottom four it's just the way their seasons have been so i ask this one of these four teams need to do to to kind of become contenders next year because Carlton, yes, they got gutted during the offseason. They got gutted during the offseason, but they still have some they still have some really good talent. Darcy Bessio, Mimi Hill, uh, Abby McKay, um just Carlton just there. I mean St. Kilda, Sheilor, Greiser, uh, Nicholas Zenos, Georgia Patricios. All of these teams have talent. What do they need to do to kind of get out of this purgatory as as I would say? I actually don't know. And I, I found Fremantle were probably the biggest surprise to me because when I look at those lists, sorry, I'm looking at the ladder mm-hmm. <laughs> as I'm talking, sorry. Um, Fremantle have so much talent on their list. I mean, they were riddled with injury this year and that mm-hmm. definitely affected them. So it will be interesting next year when they have those players back or I, I don't know if they don't have those players back and they acquire new talent. Um, before the next season. It will be interesting to see what happens. But Fremantle have always been up there. So I think they'd be pretty disappointed um, in their season. And it sort of goes back to what we were saying about um, Brisbane and Melbourne earlier 
is that they have such depth in their sides that even when they do have injury or, or someone falls out or even Collingwood, we saw that this year, they can really stand up and pull together and move people. Um, you know, like we saw Ruby Slicer move back, move into the back line. So you, all those sort of changes, we haven't been able to see Fremantle adapt to that. So I've been a little bit disappointed by them, but I think that's going to be a real um, sort of siren call for them and they will now take that into their draft and trade period before the next season and really look at how they even things out if they do lose some really important players like the Antonio. So um, I think that that was them. St Kilda, I... I just don't think that they could get it right. Again, I said um, Nick Del Santo hasn't coached before, so um, maybe that was part of it. But um, I think they just haven't really got off the ground yet. It's I don't really have an explanation for it. Carlton, obviously, I love Carlton, um, but I struggle with that. I think Carlton, as you said, should be doing better than they are. I'm not sure what it is. Mimi Hill is absolutely prolific. So is Abby McKay. Um, so I really can't understand why it is. I, they seem to rely on Darcy Vessio too much. And I think maybe that's the issue with some of these teams is that, um, yeah, as we said with the grand final, they didn't rely on one person. Everyone got a touch. Everyone made their mark. But some of these teams, maybe the junior players are just relying too much on um, the older, more experienced players to to do it for them. So um, I think, yeah, maybe that's it. Um, but yeah, GWS, I actually think for how they how they are, I think they mm-hmm. did quite well, to be honest. <laughs> I think they get a little too Coruscant focused a little bit. I mean, I know she's a forward, but it, as they, they put up the statistic, it's like if Cora Staunton isn't scoring, GWS isn't scoring. So it's a little yeah, bit like exactly. Darcy Vessio with Carlton. It's like if, if if Darcy isn't kicking the goals, Carlton isn't winning. And it, which was really interesting when during the season Darcy Vessio got put to the halfback, halfback flank or half center half back. And I think really that helped Carlton expel out of the defensive half much better. Where Coruscant's going to stay forward. I mean, Georgia Garnett started to play better this year. I, I think they've got some younger talent that's going to be able to step up. But it, I mean, if Cora steps away, which, and I don't want her to, I mean, she's absolutely fantastic to watch and a legend, not only in Ireland, but even over, even in the AFLW, what she's done, um, uh, it, it's it, fantastic. But I think GWS has become so, if Cora doesn't kick goals, what's the second option? So we'll really have to see again that the, that four group does my head in the last two seasons because if you look at their list as you said Fremantle injury issues this year I think that really killed them and Kara Bowers getting COVID at the start of the year I think really hampered her at the first start and and they really kind of they they dug themselves a hole and could never really get out of it Haley Miller can do a ton she's an incredible player but she can't make up for Kara Bowers loss in the midfield. And Gabby Sullivan getting hurt, Cuthbertson getting hurt, all the injuries that they had. And then both the Antonios being out for pretty much most of the season really hurt this team. So Fremantle is there. GWS, as I said, Carlson, St. Kilda, it's, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say because at the start of the season, they looked like they were going to be a team that was going to surprise people. And then they regressed back to 
the way they were the season before. So I don't know. So let's let's get off purgatory. Let's go to one of my favorite categories. I can't wait to talk about this. This is the on the rise group. There's five Geelong, Richmond, the Western Bulldogs, Gold Coast, and Essendon. I love this group because there's so much young talent. There's so much talent in this group. It's fascinating. So I ask you with this one, with all five of these teams, they have a chance to make finals. Gold Coast just barely makes it. Richmond, West, the Western Bulldogs, Geelong, and Essendon are all there. What do they need to do to be in the next tier, which is called contenders? I love that you've named them. It's, I'm going to steal this. <laughs> They're very good. You were you were, um, you were more than you were more than happy. Please please mention me. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. No, we're not into we're not into stealing things without credit. Um, oh, I agree with you though. I think this is the, and they're the most exciting teams to talk about too because you're right. You see that rising talent, and as we've just talked about, a lot of these teams have a massive group of really, really talented players. There's not any of those teams that you look at and say they've got one player that carries them every single week. And I think that that's, that's the difference, isn't it, as we've been talking about. So um, oh, I think, I mean, you can't go past um, Georgia Pasparkas with Geelong. I think at times she probably did carry them. But she's also under the wing of some really, really experienced players. So um, I think, you know, you can have that junior talent, but they need that mentoring because otherwise they'll, they, they won't know what to do with themselves. And, you know, like they're strong and fit and young, but if they're not put in the right position, they're not coached properly, um, you know, they're not being told where to go and when to do it, then they're not going to excel. So I think that's a testament to, um, the coaching and um, I suppose the possibly the the vibe of the club and um, yeah Collingwood Collingwood break my heart a little bit because I just know that they can get there they keep getting into finals and then they keep getting knocked out and they just can't get there and it's so sad <laughs> Well, I actually, I actually have Collingwood in the next one. I actually have them in the contenders because I, I this season and last season, I, I kind of, I separate them a little bit because Bree Davy, Britt Benici are both out, and I, I think Collingwood is the team. I think next season could be the riser. They could be the team that everybody kind of they underestimate because they look at the previous two seasons with Bree Davy and Britt Benici both being injured and not making a huge impact. They're, they're my team in the next one. Like I said, with, with Geelong, I okay. love Amy, Amy McDonald, Amy McDonald had an incredible season. Can she back it up? That'll be the biggest thing. Nina Morris is there. Chloe Shear has been a, a perfect signing for Geelong because that was their issue. Early, early seasons was they weren't kicking goals. Shelly Scott goes forward this year. I think that really helped her. Richmond, Having the wonder signing of Elise Sheeran this year, making All-Australian, being one of the best um, halfbacks in the entire competition this year was incredible. Mon Conti, Ellie McKenzie, Grace Egan showed they are a three-headed monster when they are all going. They're a scary team in the middle. You have Gabby Seymour, who I think is an underrated rock. Um, she's undersized, but she's super athletic. She's like another midfielder. Harriet Cordner is still to come back for this Richmond team. Beck Miller gets better. And yes, you lose Courtney Wakefield, but hopefully you get a fully fit Katie Brennan next year and some youngsters to bring in. Richmond has a lot of upside. Western, the pup, they may be the Bulldogs, but they're really the puppies still. They're still a very young side. 
Ellie Blackburn is an incredible leader. Kay and Lynch's uh, Lynch's gets her all Australian this year, which I think was very well earned, but this is a dogs team that I think they're so young, but they're growing under an incredible leader in Ellie Blackburn. They have so much upside gold coast shocked me a little bit. I thought the loss of Perkins would hurt them. She it showed at times, but Bohanna stepped up. Um, Jack DePie stepped up. Kalinda Howarth, I think when she has her day can be an incredibly impactful player when she does. Uh, Charlie Rowbottom has been an incredible addition to that team. Ali Drennan, there's so much young talent in Gold Coast. And then Essendon, they were the team, they were the expansion team that broke the mold this year. I mean, Maddie Prasparkis, Georgia G, Bonnie Tugut, those three right there are impact players. They're going to change it. The issue I see with them is, is that their youth and inexperience in the defensive side hurt them in big games. Can they strengthen that version of the field and make them much, much better? next year if they do watch out Essendon makes finals and they are dangerous with that lineup that they have especially with youngsters still getting into the AFLW as well yeah I love that that's good yeah I I think um I think Essendon are really exciting and as you say they're possibly we're relying on those top three players um Bonnie and and Georgia um and Maddie Prasparkas, but um, they, yeah, I think they're going to grow. And as you said, when you've got players that are like that, they are learning. They're, they're watching those players play. They're watching how they do it and they mould around them and they find their place too. So I think that's really exciting. And also, we also saw Hawthorne and Essendon play their first ever games at Marble Stadium and it can't be underestimated how impressive that is because the other teams have had a chance to um, to sort of mould themselves around the community stadiums. But they came out and played a pretty impressive game um, at Marvel. So, um, you know, there's things like that that people need to consider. Um, and I suppose when you're, when you're not um, in tune with how big the grounds are, or I know it's probably difficult for you, I know you know the dimensions, but you can't be here to see them. It's, it's so different. So um, I think things like that need to be taken into account. And again, someone like Essendon they had six weeks notice to pull a team together and and get going so I think they did a very impressive job in taking all of that into account 100% agree and the last last one I like I said is the contenders Adelaide Melbourne Brisbane North and Collingwood but for many people this is a kind of a two-tier top contender you have North and Collingwood the, the proverbial teams they get there but they just can't get over the hump and then your three premiership teams over the last three seasons, Adelaide, Melbourne, Brisbane. So we'll, we'll, we'll kind of, we'll split these two just really quickly. North and Collingwood are kind of the outliers. Can they make the jump into that top three and make it a top four? Or, or, or are we worried next season again, it'll be a three horse race with everybody else making up the numbers? Oh, I hope not. I think Collingwood can, I really do. Um, and I also think we saw that they don't, they don't have to rely on Bree Davy and Britt Benici because we did see them make finals without those two for the whole season. So they can do it. Um, I mean, if they do have those two back, it might mean that they they go the whole way. Um, I don't see the Kangaroos vastly improving. I don't see them making it into the top three. Um, but yeah, I definitely, I definitely think Collingwood can. They're so close. It's it's 
as I said earlier, it's frustrating because they keep getting into finals, but they just can't get over the line. And it's not like they choke because they contend, mm-hmm. but um, it's just, I mean, that was a really hard game that they played. Um, that was, you know, like unheard of conditions. Um, and they still took it down to the wire and they still played really well. They had Ruby Slasher and Sarah Rowe were both injured and played through it. So, you know, and you have to think during finals, teams will often put players on that possibly aren't 100% that they would normally keep off because they know they're going to have a break soon and they and they just let them go. And that's possibly what they did with um, Sarah and Ruby Slasher because Ruby's in a giant moon boot right now. So I think, you know, you've got to take those things into consideration and and the fact that the weather was, it was Armageddon out there and um, at Adelaide Oval and it was a pretty hard game. So there's other things outside of just whether they're good enough to be there, um, you know, mm-hmm. that affects yeah, the result. I, I, I joked, I joked, one of the things when I watched that game was how many times they landed in the puddle and you could hear the entire crowd go, oh, I was like, they needed their sw- <laughs> they needed their swim caps in that in that game for for sure, and and, and they yeah, and we'll 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 go with it with the top three. I mean, Adelaide, Brisbane, Melbourne. I mean, the class this season. I think we all talked about it at the start of the year. These were the three teams that were going to fight for a championship, and they they were. But are any of these three in danger of regressing? Because I honestly think there is one. Let's see if you think the same way. Well, I think we've seen. Adelaide regress slightly this year but it's I think yeah it's it's pretty weird to say because they are so successful and they're such a fantastic team but it wasn't the total Adelaide show this year which it ordinarily is so um, I think possibly they're in danger of um, of regressing a little bit next year Um, I hate to say that it's because they lost Aaron Phillips because I think that they have we know they have a team just completely full of talent. I don't know what it is. Maybe maybe they're just losing their groove a little bit or maybe the other teams are actually just getting better um, and their time has come and gone. So, yeah, that would be my argument. What's yours? I, I would, I, I'll say Adelaide, but I think it's more of depth. I think they've they've lost players. I mean, they haven't lost the Ann Hatchards, the 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 Ebony Marinoffs, the the Chelsea Randalls, but they're they've got miles on their legs. They've got years of of playing footy. It's going to wear on them, and the youngsters, as talented as they are in South Australia, they don't have the experience of playing in those big games. So I kind of I think it's a little bit of their best is a little bit behind them a little bit. And again, it's weird to say, and I think, I think we all look at it and go three premiership flags in the first six seasons is pretty darn impressive. So are we, are we judging them on a different scale? I don't think so. I think it's, you saw it this year. They were not themselves. Richmond early in the season had to, they had to scrape by to get a win there. They struggled against Brisbane in that high pressure, high energy type of game which is not something Adelaide would do in previous seasons. So I just, I think it's, they're losing their depth a little bit because Port took a couple, they've, they've had some retire. And I think their top stars are starting to get to the point where they're losing their powers a little bit. And, and, and they're still really good. Ed Marinoff and Hatchard, Chelsea Randall are still some of the best players in the entire competition, but are they at their best? I I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think they were at their best this season so we'll have to see is another 12 months on the body 
going to bring this Adelaide team back to the Norse, the Collingwoods, the Geelongs, the, that type of tier. We'll have to see. I don't think so this year, but I think in the next couple of seasons, I think Adelaide is going to come back to the pack a little bit because these superstars will have had so much wear and tear over the first six seasons where they were the queens of this entire competition. I think I think it's evening out, and they're kind of coming back to the pack a little bit. So an incredible season seven, but I want to have a little fun, Sarah, before, before we get over with this. I know it's not easy to run a league, but I want to know, if if I installed you to run the AFLW, what changes would you make? Because I think you and I have both discussed this. There have been some frustrations with some of the decisions made this year, whether it's a venue, whether it's where games are being played, whether it's times being played. I'm gonna I'm gonna have you give you a little bit of the power here. What would you change? I would. I would make the season at least two rounds longer. We've got more teams now. We need to be making it longer. Everyone needs to be playing each other. Um, we need to be expanding it year on year. I know they have been, but um, I would be, this is the first year we've had a full finals series. So I'd be making the actual home and away season longer. Um, I would be prioritizing the use of bigger venues I know that there's a lot of arguments that it's money-based and revenue-based and all of that, but I think if the venues are there, um, build it and they will come. I think we've had 23,000 people at a grand final before. There's 23,000 people that want to come to the footy, so you've got to leave the room for them to come. Um, That's what I think. Um, obviously there's been different arguments about, um, people winning home ground advantage and and all of that. And I do acknowledge that. Um, and it's good because we see the rest of Australia getting to see footy, um, where in the men's it's mostly all in Victoria, the finals. So, um, we know that that's different than grand finals at the MCG every year. So I don't think we should be doing that, but I think prioritizing the booking of the larger venues, definitely. I know that this year it's been in cricket season because they brought it forward, but I think they need to be organising it a lot better and and liaising with the other sports a lot more. Um, One interesting thing, the last thing I'll say is that I know Chelsea Randall did say last week that if she could make changes, that the players would like to have longer quarters because it feels too short for them. Um, And I, I tend to agree with that. I think they're probably at the point now where quite a few of the newer players coming through or the the draftees who are 18 have played footy for their whole life. And so they probably are ready to, to play longer quarters. So I think, um, I think that would probably better and possibly open the game up a bit more. It wouldn't be so rushed and congested. I don't think so. Those are probably the three changes that I would make. <laughs> well, it, it, can, can I, can I, I'll do mine really quickly. And I've said this a couple of times, honestly, my, my utopia change, the men and the women switch switch games. I think the men should be playing 16 aside with the lasso rule. I think the women should be playing 18 aside with no lasso rule because I think because of the fact that they don't have as long a kick. And again, I'm not going to, let's not get into that huge argument. I think more players isn't going to congest it. I think it's actually going to help fill some of the holes to where you won't have as many skill errors. I think I it'll keep 
some of the women fresher, which I think will improve skill, which will improve scoring, all, all of that. I think the men, as good a kick as they are, I think they could go to 16 aside lasso rule and it wouldn't change anything. I don't think it would change it at all. Completely agree with you. But I also look at it too, is I kind of like the smaller venues for the home and away. I think the bigger venues, if they can, then should go for the finals to give everybody the opportunity to come. So I'm 100% with you, but I think longer quarters, more 18 aside on it. I would even switch the lists. I think the list size needs to be a little bit bigger for the women, just because of the injury factor and the fact that until they are full time, they need that extra help especially with the, the the young ladies being drafted that are still taking their end of end of year tests. I think this lets them go, okay, they can develop a little bit. They don't have to be rushed into the side because you've got a bigger list to, to work from. So 100% with you. So again, it's utopian. We, we can ask all we want, but we'll have to see how it goes. So, all right. I will not keep you very much longer, Sarah. I know you've got a ton of things to do. The draft is, I think is just the first round has just finished here recently. And I know you've got some work to do on that. So I will not take up any more of your time. I appreciate you coming on the podcast. You are a wonder to talk to before we go. I have to say it. I've said it on message, but I'm going to say it on here. Very congratulations on your wedding. It looked absolutely fantastic. <laughs> I have to say that. Thank you. Thank so, you so much. It was a wonderful day. Absolutely. Well, it should be. It's your wedding day. So <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty. So I, I wanted to do that on the podcast before we got over. So have a wonderful rest of your evening, Sarah. It is great talking to you and hopefully we'll be able to chat again uh, next season. Okay. Absolutely. Look forward to it. Thanks so much, Johnny. Alrighty. We'll talk to you guys later. We will be back again very soon with some more AFL and AFLW very soon.